0: Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Women's Social Club chapters are open now in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, D.C., Denver, Jacksonville, Florida, Memphis, Miami, New York City, Pasadena, California, Wilmington, North Carolina, with multiple chapters in Raleigh, North Carolina and the surrounding areas. If you're in those cities, come join us at thewomenssocialclub.co and And if you don't hear your location, visit our website and click Start Your Own Chapter. We'll see you soon, and let's get to the show.
1: I used to call my business my baby. Like, my business is my baby. It was my first baby before my actual babies. And I've really scratched that from my words of the way that I describe my business because I think it's a toxic view of saying, like, My business is my baby. That means like, I can't leave it. I can't walk away from it. It needs me all the time.
0: Welcome to the Women's Social Club, a women supporting women group where we make it easier to connect with new friends and our communities while supporting our local women-owned businesses. I'm Hannah Weisberg, founder and CEO of WSC, and today we're live from the 17th floor of the University Club, where we can see incredible panoramic views of Durham, Chapel Hill, and Duke University. We're in front of a Women's Social Club audience with guest Megan Gilligan, business coach, entrepreneur, and host of the Weddings for Real podcast. Megan and I are similar in a lot of ways. We both went to ECU for undergrad, go Pirates, and we both got married this summer of 2010. We both also had our guests stay at the same exact hotel. Megan went to school for hospitality and started her career in Marriott hotels. First at the Key Bridge in Washington, D.C., then the Crabtree Marriott in Raleigh, and finally she opened up the Renaissance in Raleigh, where she was the catering sales manager. She was looking for the next chapter and set up an interview
1: with a local wedding planner. And I got to the Starbucks where we met and she looked at me and she said, I'm burned out. I'm not looking to hire someone for my business. I'm looking for someone to buy my business. It was that feeling of like, gosh, I That's not part of like my plan right now. That might be something that I see five years from now, but it's not right now. And Jason, who from the day we met to now, has still been that number one cheerleader for me of like, no, I will never forget. He was like, this is what you're meant to do. We're going to figure this out we'll take out a small business loan. You you can leave your job. Like we'll we'll figure out how to live off of my salary and I you can't not take this opportunity.
0: We've all heard the expression that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And having worked weddings and hotels, Megan was ready and grabbed the opportunity even though she wasn't sure she was ready. And she wasn't the only one who wasn't sure some friends and even her mom wanted her to take the safe and comfortable path.
1: When you think about the voices of influence in your life, whether it's family members or friends or significant others, you kind of have to, I think, look at each of those relationships and see them for the value that they are, but know that like they're not an expert in everything and every choice that you should be making. It's like a board of advisors, right? Like an internal board of advisors. And is my mom, does she have a seat at the table of the board of advisors of my life? Yes, I would say yes. But if it relates to entrepreneurship, maybe the uh, volume is slightly turned down there. But when it comes to motherhood or relationships or values, like those things, I would turn the volume up from my mom.
0: That's such a good way to look at it. And I can totally relate to that in my own personal relationships. And yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it because it isn't like you, like, I I feel the same with my mom and my dad and my family members and even some of my friends mm-hmm. who I've known growing up. And it's just different roles. Different mm-hmm. people have different roles in your life. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you did this on your own, essentially from scratch. Mm -hmm. And you built a top tier wedding business. Mm -hmm. I mean, and from what we talked about before, it wasn't handed to you in like a
1: a gift wrap package. I thought it would be. That's the small bit of safety that I clung to was, I'm not starting from scratch. This This business has a website. It has past clients. It has a reputation that I can lean on. And that was of comfort to me with the worry that I felt, but the reality was quite different. And I've said this before in speaking about the business, but it was like a fruit bowl that you look at and you see this beautiful apple and you're like, Ooh, that looks good. I'm going to enjoy that apple. So you pick it up and you go to take a bite out of it. And y'all know when you have a bite of a bad apple, it's, not good. Mm-mm. You 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 just everything feels that bite of apple, and that was actually unfortunately the best metaphor that I can come up with to explain what it was like purchasing this business because one I was in my mid twenties and I'd never purchased a business before, neither had my new three week husband, and so we didn't really know the questions to ask. We didn't know the due diligence to be done. We couldn't believe someone would sell us a business, honestly. So we got a loan. We asked some questions. We looked at some financials, but some things were missing. And we were like, it's fine. We'll figure it it out. It'll be great. (laughs) This feels pretty good. Signed the contract, left the job, took out the loan. And as I started to go around and introduce myself as the new owner of the planning business, that's when that apple taste really hit me because the previous owner, there were things to overcome in relationships and bridges burned that started to make me realize like many, many doors were being shut on business that I thought would be assured to me. And that triggered a lot of like fear and imposter syndrome of, I knew I shouldn't have done this. Now I don't feel safe. Like what felt safe no longer does feel safe. And I really questioned, like, should I go back and get my job and the security that my mom, like that voice Mm -hmm. in your head, my mom was like, this is safe. So there was a lot of doubt and insecurity and doors closed. Like, clients that had worked with the previous owner were writing negative reviews about their experience working with her, and she was gone. And now I'm like, oh gosh, this is tanking the reputation online. And I would go to venues to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm Megan. I'm the new owner. And before I could even, there's one story specifically that stands out to me where before the elevator doors could even close, for her to take me up to the third floor to see the space, she turned to me and she was like, just so you know, like I can never refer your company because this experience happened and it was so unsavory that the owner like has refused to ever have like your company here. So I'm happy to show you the space, but- we're not going to.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was
1: entrepreneurship.
0: (laughs) Wow. So how, like, when did things start turning around? Like, what Mm. was your, what were the steps that you took Mm. to sort of revive and start new? Like, were you able to
1: restore those relationships? Yes. So to me, I knew that what I was bringing to it was not necessarily a deep knowledge of the wedding industry because that A lot of that was new to me, but it was the fact that my core values are that if I say I'm going to do something, I will deliver on that and that I can be counted upon both from a client side and then working with other vendors. So it was relationship focused. And instead of going to these venues and saying like, Megan, can you add me to your preferred vendor list? I started to shift the script as I started to hear those horror stories And I would brace myself for what I was going to hear at the venue. And I would say, hey, you know, I understand that like you may not be wanting to work with my business right now. So I'd love to just have a conversation and get a sense of if you're working with event planners, what's going well right now with them and where are the areas that should there be like spots that you would love to see them do things differently? Can you tell me that too? And just let me learn from your experience working with planners and I didn't know it at the time, but that was one of those like approaching a relationship instead of as self-serving of, I want this from you, but instead being more curious, it it opened the door slightly back up because I wasn't expecting them to send me business. I wasn't expected to be added to their list. I just wanted to have a conversation. And I knew if I could just get my like my toe, even just my toe in the door, And start building that relationship that once I brought a client to them or they would send a client my way and like kind of create that space, I could set myself apart from the stories and the scripts and the issues that came from the previous owner. So that's kind of what I did. Wow.
0: How long did it take Mm. to really start building the business to where it became that top tier? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would say it took me three to four years to where I stopped hearing horror stories of the previous owner. So getting clients booked, honestly, as a new business owner, my pricing was, as I feel like all of us are when we start a business, like my pricing was low and I over-delivered in all the ways that you can imagine. And so I started getting these like great client reviews and then those clients would tell their friends that we should work together. And then I would get added to a preferred list. But still, I mean, years later at networking events, I would still be hearing horror stories. And I'd be like, this door needs to close so that this can be my business and not the previous owners. Yes. Yeah.
0: So 11 years later, Mm -hmm. you are doing amazing. Your business is booming. You have an amazing team. Mm -hmm. And you are ready for the next chapter. You ended up selling your business. So, did you know you wanted to sell? Was that something you knew in your mind? Like, okay, we're getting to year 10 or getting to year 11. Like, this is kind of mm-hmm. where I see myself. How did that process start?
1: Like, what did that look like? Mm. About seven or eight years into business, I was a new mom of three. So I had my third daughter in 2017. We purchased the business in 2010. So I had three small children. And one of the biggest mistakes I think I made as an entrepreneur and a mom was I tried to be 100% at everything. So I stretched myself really, really thin. I had no sense of self-care and I gave everything to my business and everything to my family and there was nothing left underneath that and that led to a season of burnout yeah. within my business where I knew it was burnout because an inquiry would come in and I would groan. <laughs> That's not a good thing when the way you make money is by booking wow. clients. Yeah. So an inquiry would come in and I would get the sense of dread And that was my first sign that like something had to change and something had to shift. So I started to figure out how to pull myself out of the, what I call the hamster wheel, the day-to-day of business ownership, Where like you're doing all the things, you're wearing all the hats, you never stop running, you go, 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 go. And I leaned more into delegating with my team. And I thought that would be enough. I thought that like pulling back slightly and delegating could be the answer to continuing to love my business. But then I realized that I was having planners in my market. So the next generation of planners that were reaching out and starting to ask questions about the like, how did you do this? How did you overcome this obstacle? And those conversations were so inspiring to me because I'd been there. I had been in all of like those painful, just very costly mistakes and everything that I had learned, I just loved being able to see their business in a way that I could add value. Yet the client side of things, like the burnout was still really, really strong for me. So I started to think about like what that looked like. Was it continuing to pull back further on clients? Was it uh, selling the business? What did it look like to not feel like I had to be everything to everyone? It was just interesting to see like, to feel the excitement and passion of something that I hadn't felt in a couple years and try to figure out how do I get more of that and less of this. In 2019, I decided to stop taking on clients myself as a planner. And then (laughs) the pandemic came in 2020. I don't know if you know, that wasn't so great for the wedding industry. Not so great. So all of my clients that were supposed to be my last year of clients in 2020 got moved to 2021 and 2022, and it felt like being able to make that separation was getting farther and farther from being a reality Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In just being the CEO of my business. So I decided to start having conversations and just exploring ideas of like, what could it look like to pass this on to one of the members of my team or honestly, I didn't know like what my options were in selling. And so it became just like being transparent in conversations with other women.
0: I've never sold a business. So Mm -hmm. it's super interesting to me, like how that whole process works. So that's helpful to know, you know, following your gut, following your instincts and leaning into where you feel the Mm -hmm. most inspired because Mm -hmm. it does fill you up. So when you were getting these inquiries and you were saying, okay, this side of the business it is taking more of me than I have to give, but this other side is filling up the cup that's
1: empty. Yes. And I think, honestly, one of the things that I'm so passionate about now is I jokingly refer to myself as a recovering people pleaser because lack of boundaries and lack of being able to – like the ability to pull back from your business. I used to call my business my baby. Like my business is my baby. It was my first baby before my actual babies. And I've really scratched that from my words of the way that I describe my business because I think it's a toxic view of saying like, my business is my baby. That means like, I can't leave it. I can't put it down. I can't walk away from it. I uh, It needs me all the time. And so I think that as... We look at entrepreneurship, that was one of the things is that I gave everything to this business and, and I speak so much to women right now about you can build something that you're proud of and that is profitable and that serves you but doesn't suck the life out of you and that comes with boundaries and setting expectations and having a team that can support you too.
0: a break to tell you about our sponsor industrious industrious is your all-in-one solution for co-working private offices and on-demand meeting space with over 160 locations globally industrious is committed to providing an unparalleled work experience all-inclusive amenities and flexible terms to support teams of all sizes and stages Just like Women's Social Club, Industrious is all about community and connection, and maybe some happy hours as well. Head on over to IndustriousOffice.com and use promo code WSC for a free week of co-working. That's IndustriousOffice.com, promo code WSC. All right, let's get back to the show. So you're business is still up
1: and running. Mm -hmm, It has mm -hmm, a new owner. mm -hmm. It's still doing well. It is. Yeah. So I sold it in 2022. I finished my weddings. And um, prior to that, back in 2020, right before the pandemic, this was another thing that was an interesting balance. So in 2019, I was working with wedding planners in my market. My husband and I, actually it was 2018 that we started a podcast for Wedding Pros because my husband was like, write a book. You have all these crazy stories. Like you, you should write a a book about the wedding industry. And I told him, I was like, I can't do that right now. And I, you know, that's not where my head's at. And he was like, what about a podcast? I was like, who even listens to podcasts? (laughs) (laughs) This was 2018. I didn't listen to podcasts at the time. So we started a podcast, and we started speaking to other wedding pros, and that actually was the seed that was planted for showing up in the industry in a different way, not with a plan, but just in real conversations, and that led to launching a coaching and education brand. And that's where
0: we are today. Mm -hmm. So that's what I wanted to dive into a little bit. So you're still very present in the wedding industry itself through these new roles. Yes. you have your podcast, Mm -hmm. you coach, mentor, and speak, Mm -hmm. and then you also are a business consultant for the wedding industry. So tell us a little bit about all of those things.
1: Yes. So three weeks before the pandemic, I had poured my heart and soul into what I saw as something to help planners avoid some of the pitfalls that I had made and the mistakes made in our industry. Because the wedding industry is this beautiful industry where we're celebrating love and we're getting to show up for our clients on this day that they, you know, have dreamed about perhaps for years and years. And it's great. But the underside of the event industry is that a lot of us are heart-centered people pleasers and we want to go above and beyond for our clients and planning a wedding for those of you that have either, you know, helped someone or planned your own wedding, there's a lot of expectations, there's a lot of drama, there's a I don't I don't know a single wedding that doesn't have some sort of interesting family dynamic oh. f- with a oh. mom no. or a sister or an aunt or an uncle or the friend that's not really the friend or the bridesmaid that they didn't really even want to be the bridesmaid. Anyway, all of those things that play into planning a wedding fall on the planner.
0: Wow. No. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So the expectations are high. The demand is high. Oftentimes the budget is one thing in reality and then a different thing in the dream of what is to be brought to life. And I've joked for so long that wedding planners Part 40% of what we do is unlicensed therapy for couples and their family members. So I got a little sidetracked there. But three weeks before the pandemic, I launched a membership and education site with the intention of helping wedding planners build businesses that they loved that didn't suck their soul at the same time.
0: Yes, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I I mean, living through my own wedding, there were all of those dynamics mm-hmm. and We were the last of our friends here in the South to get married, but the first of our friends from um, our New York and Boston groups. Yeah. So it was such a fun dynamic bringing the two together. And my poor family were just like, "What? Is, who are these people? What is happening? And our wedding planner had to absorb all of it oh, yeah. and just keep it moving. Yeah. And just, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, a miracle worker to be sure. It's We're <laughs> like the swan
1: on yes. top of the water where you see us floating and you're like, look at that lady. She looks so stress-free. <laughs> I love weddings. Like, I think I would like to do that. I like attending weddings. But then the reality is that the work that we're doing on the underside is the like paddling furiously and making all the things happen so that our clients then don't feel the stress of what we're doing. And there's a lot. There's a lot to manage when you're showing up for your clients, you're building relationships with vendors. You actually have to also be the marketer of your business and HR and the CEO and all the different hats that go into it. So business ownership as a whole is a lot and then filtered through an industry that is from the outside, very glamorous. But when everyone else is off and celebrating, we're, we're the ones that are like working behind the scenes.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Oh, role right now, <laughs> so like out of the. I was like,
1: "Don't b- ask me a story. No. Save it for the." Book I know. <laughs> yes.
0: Do you have a favorite role? So, out of the three things that mm. you're sort of working on right now, do you have a favorite?
1: I think that it is the conversations with female entrepreneurs. It's the one-on-one connection. It's watching their eyes in the aha moment. So sometimes that's, uh, you know, I I do speaking for our industry and I enjoy that, but that's like a large crowd of people. And I can't always see that moment where like something hits them. But when it's in a one-on-one conversation, whether it's in person or um, over a Zoom, like a coaching call, it's seeing the relief in them when they feel seen, right? They're like, oh my gosh, you get me. You've been there. And you also have a solution to alleviate some of the overworking and the pain that I've been feeling. I think that's like one of um, my members and my membership asked me today, she says, do you ever get tired of talking to people all day long? And I was like, tell me more. What, what does that question mean? She's like, you're, you're, you're always going like you're podcasting or you're coaching. And I said, Oh no, like this, I love this. Like I, I get to the end of the day. And I think, like, it was so amazing to have that conversation that was, you know, more about life. And then that one that was more about business. And then that one where, like, her life the next day is going to be just a teeny touch easier because she realized something that she could stop doing that she's been telling herself she has to do.
0: I can appreciate that. Yes. I feel as an introvert, like, going to events would drain me. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And, It's so funny because that's now my whole business is around like gathering and it's crazy because, yeah, I get tired, but I never get tired of what I'm doing. Like Mm -hmm. I always have energy. Like I don't work all the time because I feel tied to it and that I can't let go because there are days where, you know, especially on the weekends, I try to limit it. But I love being there for my team Mm -hmm. and I love hearing their excitement. Mm -hmm. Like you say, seeing them make their chapters their own, because at this point it is out of my hands. So it is a different level of feeling when you're watching someone else
1: take information you've given them. It is. And I think it kind of goes back to what you asked me at the beginning of this interview of when I made that leap. Did I have someone that was there to bounce ideas off of? And I didn't. And I remember in the deepest season of burnout when there were many tears for me and a lot of like meltdowns, I remember sitting in my living room with my husband and just crying and saying, like, I feel like I'm meant to figure this out because I'm supposed to help someone else. And I just, so that conversation will stick with me until the day I die because I don't have it all figured out. Like I'm not sitting here a perfect version of not nailing it at motherhood. (laughs) Uh, I don't have everything figured out in business ownership, but I do think it was like, I was meant to feel those struggles and feel that pull and make some of those mistakes so that I could craft what I learned and present it to other women and say like, I see you, I've done it. Let's not do it this way. Like, how about this instead?
0: So for everyone listening and even here
1: today, is there
0: any piece of advice you would give them? So for example, like you took that meeting that was supposed to be an interview that Mm -hmm. wasn't an interview and it (laughs) changed the whole trajectory of your career. Um, Do you have any piece of advice in terms of taking a leap of faith in Mm -hmm. their own careers or if they're in a season of change?
1: Yes, I do. I think it goes back to something that we as women tend to do a lot of is we seek external validation for our choices and what that next step is. And we look to our circle and we say, like, what do you think? Do you think that I should do this? And you're seeking that from them. But the reality is that as much as you need these people and you need their insight some of them you'll need more than other but what we really have to lean into that we as women tend to turn down the volume way too much is that inner mentor right that inner voice that inner gut you could call it so many different things but to me every time i can just get quiet and i still do this where i'll look to my husband or my mom or someone on my team or a friend, and I'll be like, should I, do you think I should do this? Should I do this? And I'm looking for like enough yeses for me to feel like I can move forward. But the reality is if I can just sit, just get quiet, just think about it, process, should I take this step? Whether it is starting a business, whether it is leaving a job, whether it is moving forward with a relationship with a significant other, it's just kind of processing like, what's the why behind why I would do this? And should I? The answer's there. It's not always the external validation. So that was a long-winded way of saying like my recommendation would be like tune in to that inner voice and give it more credit than you currently are because as women, we do not give it enough credit.
0: Alternatively, what would you say would be your advice of what not to do? Mm, Is there anything that you would say? you know, not to lean into, not to Mm -hmm. give too much of your time or energy? That
1: question makes me think of, there's a study that was done and I'll try to get the numbers right. I think it was by Hewlett Packard. It was like an internal study that they did a few years ago. They were qualifying women and men for applying for jobs. And it's been referenced, I think it's like women only apply for a job if they feel like they meet 100% of the qualifications, but men will apply if they're like, yeah, I've got, you know, 60 to 70% of the things that it's asking. And that takes me to a message of like, gosh, we really lean on perfectionism. Like we're expecting that when I get to this level, then I'll be able to do that. And that's what I said back in 2010. I was like, I'm not ready to be an entrepreneur five years from now. Maybe I'll be ready to do that. And thankfully my husband was that cheerleader to say like, no, let's do it now. Let's do it messy. Like, let's figure it out along the way. And I would encourage you to not lean into the like, I will do this when I have it figured out because I'm a great example of, I still don't have it all figured out. And I still feel the fear, every choice of selling the business, buying the business, starting a new education platform, like everything that I've done, I absolutely have imposter feelings. Like I'm definitely thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. Who's going to listen to this? Like, will this be worthy of being out in the universe? But I do it anyway, even though it's scary. And that would be what I want for more women. Is there anything that you
0: feel like we missed or that you want to add as a takeaway?
1: I think it would just be wherever you are right now in your career, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working in a corporate job, I would just take an assessment of, I don't know where this stat comes from, but I've heard it 1 million times. The idea of like, you are the five people that you surround yourself with and think about like, Who are those five people that like get to sit at that board of advisor table for you? Like maybe it is a significant other. Maybe it is a mom. Maybe it is a very good friend. Maybe it is a coach. But just take an assessment of it. I think sometimes I know for me during the pandemic, there were friendships that I had held on to for a very long time. And I realized that I felt like they were supposed to be friendships for life, but it's okay to outgrow certain relationships. So that would be what I want you to hear. It's okay to outgrow a job. It's okay to outgrow a friendship. It's okay to outgrow a type of client that you have found yourself working with. It's okay to outgrow things. And I actually think it's healthy and great for that to be a continual thing.
0: I love that advice so much. And Mm -hmm. I could not agree more about really weeding out your inner circle because Mm -hmm. you are the combination of those five people that you give the most room to in your life. And that can be a really great thing Uh um, or a really scary thing. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean like somebody is a bad person, they did something wrong or anything like that. You just have outgrown the relationship for where it was at one time. right? And it's time to... I wouldn't even say level up because then you're, you know, you're saying you're
1: better than, Mm-mm. but it's just changing directions. Yes. Yes. I have just one closing thought. I, when my husband and I moved into our house eight years ago, our neighbor gave us this little house plant and it was in this tiny little pot. It's about, you know, a foot high. And I set it on my counter and I watered it. I'm not very good with plants. Like, <laughs> Same. Really killed so many of them but I watered it and it was doing okay. It was fine. And then one day I had this novel idea that maybe it would do better by the sun. Like if I put it by an actual window instead of sitting there on my kitchen counter where the windows are over there. And I moved it over and I noticed it started to grow a little bit more. And then I had this other novel thought, like, what if I put it in a bigger pot? Like crazy, right? What (laughs) if I gave it more room to grow? So I repotted the plant. And now eight years later, and I can't believe this because I really have a black thumb, That plant is taller than my 10-year-old, and we still have it, the same plant. And now, like, if anything happens to that plant, I will actually cry because I put way too much emphasis (laughs) on, like, maybe I'm the plant. Oh, Um, yeah, the deep thoughts. Deep thoughts. But it's the idea of maybe you need to repot yourself, right? Like, maybe you need to give yourself more space for those roots to grow. And where you are planted right now, you can replant yourself at any time.
0: So how can all of us follow you, get in touch
1: with you, connect with you? Yes, great question. So um, my podcast is called Weddings for Real. It is for wedding pros, but I believe the lessons in there are for women and entrepreneurs in general, not specifically to the wedding industry. For those that are in the industry, I do have a membership for wedding and event planners called The Planner's and You can find me on Instagram at, at Weddings for Real and at Planner's Fault.
0: Thank you so much to Megan Gilligan, who you can find at theplannersvault.com. And you can listen to her podcast, Weddings for Real, on any podcast app. I definitely recommend her Unraveling series, which has nothing to do with weddings. And a few ways to follow the Women's Social Club. One, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Two, you can visit thewomensocialclub.co and find the community that's closest to you. If there's nothing close to you, please let us know. And third, follow us on social media, where you'll find video clips of this podcast as well as the Women's Social Club's events throughout the country. We're at Women's Social Club on both Instagram and TikTok, and at the Women's Social Club on Facebook. This podcast is edited and produced by Airfluence. I'm Hannah Weisberg, and on behalf of everyone at the Women's Social Club, we can't wait to welcome you into our sisterhood. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.